SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Exactly six minutes after six o'clock this Wednesday evening, Hilton Tarrant with you till 6.30 on the Market Update. A reminder of our SMS line, 34701 with the keyword market. That's 34701 with the keyword market. We'll take uh, one or two of your questions uh, before the end of this program. Up first, as always, Google it to as your business news. Thanks, Elton. Good evening. Harmony Gold has halted operations at its Pagisa and Sebong mines due to an underground fire. The firm adds that one person has been reported missing, while smoke and high gas levels have made rescue efforts quite difficult. Toyota has held on to its status as the world's top-selling automaker in the first quarter of this year as its sales fell in China and Japan, with competition from General Motors and Volkswagen proving tight. Toyota's first quarter sales declined by just under 2% uh, from the year earlier, while GM was up by 3.5% and Volkswagen also jumped up by 5%. And Vodacom has been judged to have the best reputation of South Africa's top 20 JSC-listed companies. The Reputation Institute says Vodacom scored just under 75% to claim the top position, followed closely by Old Mutual and Pick and Pay in second and third position, respectively. Turning to the markets now, the JSC All Share Index is closed up by a tenth of 1% at 38,783 points. The rand's at 918 to the US dollar. 1397 to the pound and 1193 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,426 an ounce. A barrel of Brent crude oil at $101 and the platinum price at $1,421 an ounce. Thanks, Gugu. Simon Brown of Just One Lap, our guest market watcher this Wednesday evening. Simon, market up 0.1%. Uh, gold shares rebounding strongly today up 3%. Yeah, evening, Hilton. It, it was all about resources. Yesterday was all about industrials as resources got, got hammered. Um, today they came back. No fundamental reason for it. We saw the rand a couple of cents stronger. We saw gold largely unchanged. I think it's folks just saying that the gold stocks, I mean, Harmony had a massive day, really saying that the, the, the resources in general, gold stocks in particular, uh, at these points are just crazy cheap. I'm not convinced that at, at current price points, uh, you look at platinum and, and gold miners in this country, they're not making money. Uh, we, we need better prices. We need prices significantly higher with the, with the, than where they are right now before there's real profit flow. 52-week highs on the market uh, for Zida, another 52-week high after yesterday's showing. Sun International also up there, Ilovo uh, repeating yesterday's performance. A couple of property funds, Pumalela creeping up there, Coronation back uh, in the 52-week highs, 51.65 for that share. Um, at present, Life Healthcare, Distel, famous brands, 87.99 a share. Uh, I mean, it's touching famous brands. We were talking before we came on. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a crazy price for them. It's a price earnings nudging 30 times on historic. But you've got to say that they, they're one of the top country, companies in our country, you know, across spheres. Um, are there consumers under pressure? Probably yes, particularly in their new spheres, which is the casual dining and the like. Uh, results out in a couple of weeks. I think the results are going to be good. I don't think the stock is necessarily massively overpriced if you take earnings this year into it, throw forward another year in time, you're probably looking at something that's actually still offering value. A lot of those stocks, they're expensive but have been moving. Um, Life Healthcare, you know, been in the move now for almost two years. Coronation as well, just been a perennial performer in that space. Did some sums, uh, as you said, before uh, before we came on air. And if you extrapolate famous brands' earnings uh, for this year, you get somewhere close to the 3.40 a share mark. That brings the uh, P.E., down to about 25, 26, maybe even 24, 23 if they, if they have a blowout uh, December. 
and on a forward basis, it comes all the way down to 20. Which for, which for famous parents is a good price. And it, 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 you know, again, their core business, they're so massive. How do they grow when you're 2,000 plus stores? You know? So how do they grow? Well, they, they add these bolts on, bolt ones. They've done you know, Fago Cafe. They've done Turn and Tender recently. They did the bread basket where they're taking majority uh, but, but, but not complete stakes in the businesses. And then it's the backward integration. They, they, they take those products. They plug them into the kitchen. They manufacture and supply into those. So it really is economics of scale. And if they can produce, for example, bread rolls and uh, make an extra 1% margin on their bread rolls, now that's fairly significant because they're supplying bread rolls across hundreds and hundreds, in fact, thousands of, of, of outlets across the country. Let's look at uh, a couple of companies reporting guidance today. Vodacom, uh, full-year headline earnings per share up somewhere between 20 and 25%. It looks like a very good number. Market liked the number. But if you dig around, there are all sorts of one-offs. Uh, a secondary t- tax on companies charge of 806 million rand last year that disappears this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one or two people on Twitter figuring out that uh, this actually equates to around about 50 or 60 cents a share. So that 20 to 25 percent number doesn't quite look as good as, good as it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. If, if you pull out all the specials, I think you're getting a number that's probably 15 to 20, which is not. Not bad, particularly when you consider that the average revenue per user is probably coming down. A lot of that is going to be picking up on, on data. Uh, the flip side is obviously the LTE uh, 4G that they're rolling out. That's an expense for them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Vodacom, because of their restriction from Vodafone, the parent company, they're only in a couple of countries in, in SADC. Uh, South Africa is their only significant market, really mature market, and it really is for them. You know, can they perhaps do less, suffer less in the churn than perhaps they MTN, and then how much can they pick up? At the end of the day, they generate massive amounts of cash. And I think for a lot of folks, what they're looking at with Vodacom really is the dividend pay. And with MTN, at their last set of numbers, changing dividend to a fixed plus 15% a year, that really puts Vodacom, in terms of pure dividend, the more attractive of the two. And I think that's big interest in it. Breit, uh, formerly private equity company, these days an investment holding company, uh, full year headline earnings per share up anywhere between 29 and 36%, but also guided that its net asset value uh, was up somewhere around 30%. This is the company that owns uh, a significant chunk of Pepcor, which uh, in turn owns Pep and Ackermans. It also has a stake uh, in the Iceland business in the UK. Good numbers. Very good numbers from them. Uh, an incredibly well-run business and got some really great assets there. They also, to my mind, value their assets fairly conservatively. They use uh, EBITDA margins and they run those EBITDAs at around, and I'm fishing into my memory here, it, I think it's around seven or so, maybe eight times EBITDA, whereas you look at your current valuations on ShopRite, which would be a comparable and the like, and they're running EBITDA prices at the moment closer to 12 or 13 times. So a conservative net asset value, which I'm not criticizing, that's probably a good thing, but suggesting that perhaps if they're unbundled, it would be worth a whole lot more. And I think that's why there's potential there for a, a better premium and why the stock responded fairly well today as well. AFGRI uh, cautioning its uh, full year earnings will be down somewhere between 25 and 40%. It's really hurting from its uh, South African chicken business. The irony is this was a company that put out results about a month ago, and it's already warning uh, for its results, which uh, 
or for a year and it only comes in June. Yeah, look, I, I, I like that. I mean, the JC rules say as soon as you become, it becomes apparent that your earnings will be 20% more or less than the previous time, let the market know. Most companies, therefore, say, well, we're not even going to worry about that until at least the period is over. Uh, Calgary M3 come in quite early sometimes. This is earlier than most. I mean, this is uh, three months away or so before the end of the year, two months. Um, very tough time. Uh, chicken hurting them. I, I've been seeing some reports that saying that the chicken imports, which have been blamed for so much of the pain, are perhaps not as, as, as significant a number uh, as, as, as suggested by, by, by the chicken uh, uh, manufacturers, in a sense. Um, but certainly, the chicken industry is struggling for whatever the reason is. We saw Astral, which has been a perennial, absolute top star in that space, just really get uh, uh, bloody numbers in their last set. I'll take results out uh, this afternoon. Revenue up by 4.7%. Uh, not much growth there. Headline earnings per share going back uh, 23%. No dividend is passed on that. Uh, it says it needs to conserve cash. We'll hear from the chief executive, Craig Fenter, uh, tomorrow evening. Numbers, not much to talk about. No, a lot of it was the East Africa, which, they, which was where they boldly went and too massively overpaid, couldn't make it work, and are now returning home. The problem is, is that their two core businesses, which is uh, Nipstar and, and uh, uh, Altec, uh, not Altec, Altepage, that's mm-hmm. right, the, the cellular, they, they both increased revenue, but the profits fell. So what they did a couple of years ago was say, well, we need new revenue streams. They've got the set-top boxes. That's not happening in South Africa, but they're manufacturing and selling into the rest of Africa. That's working, but that's smallish. East Africa was supposed to be the new massive growth area for the company. That hasn't worked. So when we shake all this out and we jump forward a year, uh, set-top boxes are nice, but that's going to be a one-off over a couple of years, but it's going to be a one-off. Then we'll all have our set-top boxes. They need to find a new growth business because the two that they in are fundamentally ex-growth. Well, ICT, uh, Imperial Crown Trading and the Department of Mineral Resources yesterday announcing that they had lodged applications for leave to appeal to the Constitutional Court over uh, those disputed session mining rights. This follows the ruling by the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, wholly in favour of Kumba Iron Ore on the matter, and this dispute has been dragging on. Uh, for about four years. Uh, earlier we spoke with Weber Wenzel's mining law specialist uh, and partner Peter Leon. Here are his thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I, I think it was the correct decision. Um, I mean, obviously this has gone through a protracted process, first of all in the North Gauteng High Court and then in a very detailed decision by a unanimous Supreme Court of Appeal bench led by Judge Southwood and um, it's a very careful judgment which explains in a lot of detail as to why the court has come to this conclusion and that's why it's very Mm. surprising that in the face of this judgment and the judgment which preceded it that Imperial Crown Trading and the Department of Mineral Resources have nonetheless decided to uh, apply for leave to appeal to the Constitutional Court. That's Peter Leon, their uh, partner at Weber Wenzel. Simon, very strange indeed that there is this appeal now, uh, a potential appeal at the Constitutional Court level, given that there was a completely unanimous ruling out of the Supreme Court of Appeal. Uh, and you've got exactly zero chance. In, in, in the case of uh, Imperial Crown tra- Trading, what they're basically saying is, you know what, we go for broke, because if we, if we walk away, if this doesn't work, we get nothing. If it does work, we are so in the pound seat. So you know, they're going to pursue it in every way possible. The Constitutional Court is surely going to say, no, we're not interested in hearing it. I mean, you know, majority, not a majority, unanimous ruling against you, you've got no, no grounds for appeal. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb.
Well, FastJet, an African low-cost airline backed by Sir Stelios Hagiano and majority owned by AIM and JSE-listed Lonro, plans to enter the South African market within the next six weeks. It currently operates flights in Tanzania, Uganda and Kenya and has set its sights on the Joburg-Cape Town route for its first service in South Africa. Richard Bowden is Chief Commercial Officer of FastJet. Richard, Joburg-Cape Town, the 10th busiest airline route in the world. It carried 4.4 million passengers last year. No surprises at all that you've chosen this route. We see that route as a very suitable route to operate as our first route into South Africa. Um, we've seen the fares steadily increase uh, since the demise of uh, one time, and we see significant latent demand on that route that uh, is uh, struggling to get hold of seats. Though those fare increases that you've seen uh, since the end of last year when uh, one time was grounded and then liquidated, have they been substantial? Well, we believe that they, we, we've seen a 20% rise in fares. 20% uh, since then? Yes. How many flights a day will you be operating at the start? Uh, how many aircraft are you using? Initially, it will be two flights a day, operating at prime times out of Johannesburg into Cape Town. Um, the aircraft options at the moment are that we get um, one of our one or two of our fleet of Airbus 319s onto the uh, South African registry, and that will take some time. We understand it can take up to four to five months. So on that basis, we'll be leasing an airplane initially from a local provider and using that aircraft to start the uh, start the fast operation, but then introduce our airbuses as quickly as we can. That local operator um, and, and the commercial agreement is with uh, Federal Air, which is effectively a shuttle and charter business. What aspects will they be responsible for? Well, Federal Air have an AOC, an air operating certificate. They don't actually have the right sort of aircraft for this operation. So we're currently speaking to three different aircraft lessors here in Johannesburg to determine as to which aircraft we'll be using for our initial operations, which will start at the end of, uh, end of May. Richard, you are working with local investment company Blockbuster. 75% uh, of the local business is owned by Blockbuster. A number of prominent South Africans are involved, including Edward Zuma, the son of the president, and businessman Yusuf Kaji. Did they approach you or did you approach them? Um, that's a great question. Um, to be honest, um, we were introduced. So a bit of, uh, a bit of matchmaking going on. Uh, as far as the costs of entering a, a market such as South Africa is concerned, you are raising £2 million through a private placement on AIM that uh, translates to roughly 30 million rand. Is that what an entry costs, uh, an entry into South Africa would typically cost? Well, it, dep- determines, so it depends very much on what sort of model you intend to operate on. Um, this, as I've mentioned, is going to be uh, initially us wet leasing or, uh, aircraft into our operation, which doesn't require significant capital outlay. Um, however, um, we're in this very much for the long haul, so uh, I imagine it'll be a great deal more than £2 million will be invested as we grow the business. What's the attraction uh, with South Africa, Richard? Well, South Africa is one of the most mature aviation markets uh, in the continent of Africa. Um, We see huge opportunity. We see latent demand. We see very high fares being um, in the marketplace. Uh, And we see uh, South Africa as a staging point 
to uh, other countries uh, in southern Africa. And we already, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, we already have operations in East Africa and indeed West Africa. So we're looking to expand further into the African continent. And that's despite uh, the limited 25% equity ownership in this local operation, despite the fact that nine private airlines have failed since the market was deregulated in 1991. Some didn't even take off. Uh, You still see uh, this as an attractive market. We see it as a very attractive market. Um, We are obviously very aware of some of the failures that have occurred fairly recently. But looking at those, they tended to be airlines that that didn't exactly stick to their core business. Um, We know one time fairly well, of course, and they got into aviation uh, engineering, uh, and they were also flying very old, very inefficient aeroplanes. So obviously um, we'll be looking to enter the market with modern jets um, flying, high-utilization high uh, flight patterns, and, you know, we'll stick to our knitting. We'll focus on flying a low-cost airline rather than deviating from the business model. Speaking of one-time, you had originally intended to buy uh, one-time assets out of liquidation. Why uh, haven't you proceeded with that transaction? Yeah, we, we were somewhat disappointed in uh, that it's taken some time um, to uh, to come to a, a suitable conclusion with uh, with one time. Um, I believe that conversations have happened with various creditors and so on, but I don't think there's been any formal response back. Um, and we made an announcement about six, eight weeks ago that we were actually looking at several opportunities, and we just felt that the value of the brand of one time was slowly diminishing over time, um, and uh, we wanted to get going. We wanted to start uh, operating in this field. You were speaking about sticking to your knitting a a couple of minutes ago. Uh, The differentiation that Fosjet offers, is there any differentiation beyond a standard no-frills low-cost airline? Um, Well, the the senior management team at uh, Fosjet have all operated um, at various low-cost airlines, including the likes of EasyJet and SpiceJet and so on. Um, So we've got some pretty good experience at running low-cost airlines. and we've certainly seen our local model work very effectively in Tanzania, where we've carried over 130,000 passengers in, uh, in, in less than six months. So we're pretty confident that uh, our business model will, uh, will be successful in what is a more mature market. Beyond uh, Joburg, Cape Town, uh, are South Africans likely to see the Joburg-Durban route added before Christmas? We certainly want to launch on, on, on the Cape Town route. Um, we would certainly want to expand very rapidly beyond that. We have a long list of destinations that we're looking at currently, but um, I wouldn't like to confirm or deny anything specific at this stage, but um, certainly we'd want to grow fairly rapidly domestically and hopefully internationally. Yeah, hopefully internationally. Surely the objective, given your footprint in East Africa and West Africa, is to move to, to Pan-African flights, to flights uh, between, for example, Johannesburg and, and a destination in East Africa in time. It would make business sense to link up our, our, our various um, hubs around Africa, but um, we would want each hub to be independent of its own right. Um, so if a route, for example, from Johannesburg to Dar es Salaam doesn't work commercially, then we wouldn't force ourselves into that. Um, we would look at the most popular routes and the most uh, efficient routes and the most commercially viable routes out of South Africa. And if that happens to be uh, one of the hub destinations, then, uh, then all, all the better. But uh, we would run South Africa very much as a standalone business um, for South Africans. Um, and uh, you know, it has to stand up on its own two feet.
Richard Bowden is Chief Commercial Officer of FastJet. Simon, interesting that uh, since one time exited the market specifically on the Cape Town route, uh, by FastJet's calculations, airfares are up 20% on that route. What uh, Richard didn't really want to discuss and what wasn't mentioned, I guess, is the impact of fuel prices um, over that period. There has been a fuel price hit, but make no mistake, there's price gouging. I do Cape Town, Joburg, I think I've done it five times this year already or something crazy. Um, I used to pick up a ticket. I'm a lazy booker, so I book about a week or ten days beforehand. Used to cost me two thousand, maybe maybe two and a half. Last trip two weeks ago, four thousand eight hundred. I can fly to Paris for five thousand four hundred. Okay, I've got to go via Abu Dhabi, but I mean there was price gouging. Essentially, we have two airlines in the country at the moment: there's Comair and SAA, the, the the big brand, and then the the, the junior brand, the discount brand. Um, I I probably wouldn't get on a fast jet uh, plane, not because of any other reason that I I loyal to an airline because I get the the, the lounge access mm. and you know the frequent the flyer miles, the miles, and and I get enough miles to use it. But uh, I'm desperate for them to come in to bring some competition to pricing. Well, uh, it's 26 minutes after 6 o'clock. Fresh from the news of over 1 billion rands worth of investment in its hotels in Durban's Golden Mile and its casinos here in Gauteng, Toho Sun has announced it will spend close to another billion rand on two projects in Africa, one in neighboring Mozambique and the other in Nigeria. Chief Executive Marcel von Arlok joins us now. Marcel, let's start with the first of those. You've already got a fantastic location in Maputo and uh, willing to spend $30 million, that's 270 million rand, on refurbishing and expanding that? Um, yeah, the Southern Sun Maputo Hotel has been um, a great operation for us. We opened it in December 2000, um, and we've seen that, particularly over the last few years, the Mozambican economy has really been growing strongly, and there's been a lot of activity in Maputo. So we've been trading at high occupancy levels. Um, we've had surplus land on the site for, for quite a while, uh, and we thought it was opportune to both refurbish the existing offering and expand it. So we're going to increase it from about 160 rooms to about 260, 270 rooms and include conferencing and so on. Nearly doubling the size there. The other opportunity in Nigeria, you're buying a 75% stake in your existing Ikoi Hotel from developers. Now, you have been operating this hotel under contract since inception. Why is it important to own uh, the asset, Marcel? Um, we're a bit unique like that. I mean, a lot of the international hotels which go the asset light approach and just sell management services. Um, we are happy to own hotels and happy to, to operate them for our own account, and it gives you a much longer security of tenure. Management contracts come and go, um, and ultimately the amount of effort you're putting in, you're putting into your, for your own benefit. Um, you know, if the operation is worth running and it's worth being invested in, we've got the capital and we've got the expertise to run it. We're happy to do it for our own account. Um, Nigeria, we would have liked to have been involved in, in from the start. It's been a great, uh, great investment for the developers. But um, at the time we went on a management contract, it's been good for us. We've learned the market, and when the opportunity came to buy it, we've taken it. Marcel, are you actively looking for additional opportunities across the continent, given, uh, given the occupancies you're seeing at, at specifically these two hotels? Nigeria in particular is one, one country in Africa where we think over time we could have multiple hotels across our brand spectrum. You know, we operate from one star through to five star, and I think in Nigeria you could you could start replicating that model. It's definitely got the growth potential and the size of the economy that justifies that. That's a long-term plan. Um, by buying into this operation, we secure ourselves in, in the city and we've got our, our base in place. Um, and it's, I think that's an area we'd look at closely. The balance of Africa is quite challenging. The cities tend to be relatively small markets and uh, the addition of a couple of hundred rooms at a time results, you, you go from an under to an oversupply situation quite quickly. So there are not that many big 
economies around that we could, could invest in, but Nigeria is certainly one we'll chase. Marcel von Olok is chief executive of Tsoko San Simon Market, not uh, particularly fond of that announcement. Uh, share price came off pretty much on the back of it. It did, and, and it's, uh, I mean, particularly the Maputo asset, it's right there next to the Plana Hotel. It's a, a, a beautiful location. I didn't realize the hotel is only 13 years old. It, 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 from reports, it, it's, a, it's a little, a, a little stretched in places, a little run down. Um, certainly, and, and he talks to the point, I mean, there's not that much opportunity in Africa because of the size of cities, but they're going to two that I think are potentially significant. And Nigeria, of course, um, and, and Maputo, not only for the economy, but for tourism as well. Just before we wrap up the show, uh, a quick one. Uh, FNB uh, cracked a mention in the Apple earnings call last night, uh, Chief Executive of Apple, Tim Cook. Uh, he was describing the way that corporates use iPads worldwide. He said, First National Bank, the oldest bank in South Africa, has issued iPads to wealth managers to help enhance customer relationships and interactions. How's that for punching above your weight? You've got to say, at that point, Michael Jordan should just ride off into the sunset. I mean, I, I don't want to diminish anything he's done, but I mean, I don't know. Does it get better than that? I mean, Apple says you're a great company and... and, and